Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 145 and Season 5. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. You remember them from your childhood. Half for the friendly ghost. Richie Ridge, Hot Stuff, Baby Huey, Sad Sack, and Little Audrey. You read them in comic books and saw them on television and in the movies. Now you can read about how they and other Harvey comic characters were created in two great books from Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions, The Best of Harveyville Fun Times and The Harvey Comic Companion. Both are available from Amazon. The Companion is also available from Bear Manor Media. They are available in hardcover, paperback, and ebook version. Order your copies today. Long title Looking for the Good Times Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Christmas, Christmas time is here, and Alvin and the Chipmunks are here again. In 1958, a down on his songwriter with an unlikely name of Ross Bagdasarian plunged the last of his family savings on a multi-speed tape recorded and created The Witch Doctor and Alvin and the Chipmunks. This changed the fortunes for his family, his record label, and animated cartoon studio. Alvin! The story of Ross Bagdasarian, Liberty Records, Format Films, and The Alvin Show by Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions is available from Amazon and Fair Manor Media in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copy today. You can now order my latest book, the TTV Scrapbook, from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Bear Manor Media. If you'd like signed copies of this or any of my books, 
please email me at funideas.mark at gmail.com for further information on how to order directly from me via PayPal. I'm currently working on a Dino Writers article for Back Issue Magazine and, of course, the Mad and Turtles books. My next book should be the Pac-Man book I turned in earlier this year. It should be out sometime in 2022. On today's show, we feature a man who both produced and performed with the Monkees and the Turtles. We also have a returning guest who has brought him to us. Here they are, Charles F. Rosene, who has brought us the legendary Chip Douglas. Please note that this show was recorded before the untimely death of Michael Nesmith on December 10th, 2021. Hi, this is Mark Arnold at uh, Fun Ideas Podcast. And today I have a special guest, thanks to Charles F. Rosene, who brings me great guests on the show. It is Chip Douglas. Yay! Yay! Da, 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 and da, if you da, don't know, da, da. Chip Douglas was heavily involved with uh, groups such as the Monkees and the Turtles, so we'll be asking about that and uh, maybe the Modern Folk Quartet or something else. I don't know. So anyway, thank you for being on the show, Chip. And uh, we always like to start off here uh, just kind of saying, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into music. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, great to be on the show. I got into music, what? Well, basically in the sixth grade when I was taught how to play the guitar for the last number of the Wailua Elementary School. Wailua, that's the town I was raised in. For the song contest that the Wailua Elementary School seemed to win every year, and it was traditional for the sixth grade class, to sing a song uh, at, the, at the end of their performance. They would have to play guitars and ukuleles. Someone would have to play the guitar. So I was elected. And that's how I first learned to play the guitar. A lady who was the director taught me three chords. And we, that, so basically that's my first introduction into performing with a guitar, I guess you could say. And then... That fell by the wayside for years until later in high school. And then I got with my high school trio that I emulated the Kingston trio with and began to learn about harmonizing and things like that. And we did a few on-campus gigs and, and it went from there to the modern folk quartet and then the turtles and all of that. Thank you. You've been a great guest. Take care. Okay. <laughs> we jumped right. We jumped Call right from anytime. the beginning. <laughs> we went no. right from the beginning to the meat of things. <laughs> what do you remember? What song you played? What was your first song on uh, in that in that debut? Uh, on the no, I don't. It was uh, it was a Hawaiian song, and I wasn't. I just don't recall the the name of it. It was a kind of an up tempo Hawaiian uh, number that was. Uh, and, and, and our school, uh, the sixth grade class, always won the song contest. And it was all the schools all over the island of Oahu that competed right there at the auditorium in, in Wailua, where I grew up. And uh, for, we just had such a good coach, you know, and a lady who wrote out the arrangements and taught the class four-part harmonies. And so Wailua always won. And uh, we won that year, apparently, too. So uh, that got me started in, you know, performing, actually. So. I'm just curious. Um, so I'm, I, I obviously look up your bio and everything to find out a little bit about you. You spent a lot of your life in Hawaii, as you are now. 
but you were born in San Francisco. How did you end up in Hawaii, or was it just a fluke that you were born in San Francisco? Well, I was born in San Francisco, and my dad was away in the Pacific in World War II. Uh, and so after that, he, while he was in Hawaii being stationed there, he visited some people on the Waialua sugar plantation and had some parties with them and somehow got to know those people. And when the war was over and he went back, he got a letter saying, oh, there's a position opening up at the hospital. He was a surgeon. And, uh, you know, there's a position opening up for a doctor. Would you be interested? And he said, okay, sure. And so he applied and we came over in 1945. And uh, that's where I grew up. Well, you know, okay. Because I always thought you kind of retired there. And then I looked, wow, you were there as a child and everything else. Yeah, I grew up there. I went to high school there. And actually, it was there that I met Cyrus Faryar and Henry Diltz. And later we formed a group called the Modern Folk Quartet with another fellow. And so in a way, we kind of launched our career from there and then moved to the mainland and started playing coffee houses and college concerts and things like that for a few years until the group broke up and I got into the turtles and things started to happen for me at that point. Uh, the other fellow being Jerry Yester? Is that him? No, he, oh. there, was a, there was a fellow before him. Oh, I didn't uh, know. Who, who was a gentleman named Stanley White. He oh, okay. Quite, it was a half Hawaiian, and he actually started the group. Uh, he got together with Henry Diltz and started, he says, hey, well, maybe we can get a job in Waikiki as a duo. And then while they were practicing, they said, well, why don't we call that kid from Waialua, says Stanley, you know, and, and get him to join us and we'll be a trio. And so mm-hmm. the phone rang and I went and I practiced with Stanley and Henry. And we played for a while in Waikiki as a trio until, and this was a really a turning point for me, a group came to town called the Four Amigos. And they were, <laughs> they were on Capitol Records and they have an album out called, it's just called The Four Amigos. And it's a, the, the very close up shot of the four of them on the cover. And they played in Honolulu and they had this four part harmony so incredibly together and their guitar parts and they did dance steps and performed. They were playing in a little dive in Honolulu, you know, but uh, I saw these guys and said, Oh, that's it. We got to get a fourth guy. We, we got to do that four part harmony stuff. And I was just obsessed at that point. And so I started to write a few four part harmony. Anyway, long story short, we left Hawaii as that group with Stan White later when we arrived in LA, he was gotten into a confrontation with our manager, Herb Cohen. And, uh, well, Herb kind of said, you got to get somebody else. What can I tell you? And so we auditioned people and Jerry Esther filled Stanley White's shoes. Uh, Stanley White has now left the planet, but, uh, he had a rhythm that really carried the group and he, he, he was kind of the main focus of the group in a way, mm-hmm. but when he left, everything changed and we had to 
we just changed, you know, and so we started doing college concerts and worked out. And then the first appearance that the Modern Folk Quartet did is in the movie Palm Springs Weekend. If you, anyone's ever seen that, there's a shot of us. And when we did that movie, we knew two songs. One of them was the song we sang on camera. And the other one was a thing called East Virginia, which we, you hear in the background is Robert Conrad and Connie Stevens. They're all entering this little nightclub where we're the featured act, apparently. And so <laughs> it, it was just like a week after Stan White had been dismissed from the group and Jerry had joined us. And we did that, that, that live on camera bit in the movie. It was so ironic because Stan came so close to being in that movie there <laughs> within a week, but he got aced he was dismissed the from the group. He was the was best of your band. Yeah, I was going to say the exact yes, same thing. <laughs> exactly. He was the one that you never saw. There's, I have some still photos of him and the group in Hawaii in the early days, but that was the beginning of our career, the Modern Folk Quartet, and we made uh, a couple albums for Warner Brothers and went on and eventually disbanded and I joined the Turtles. Okay. So by way of the Gene Clark group. <laughs> it okay. was the, when I was in the Gene Clark group, that impressed members of the Turtles. And they said, oh, well, we got to get this guy. And I, Gene Clark, dismissed me. And so I wasn't doing anything. And Mark Volman comes along and says, hey, we need a new guy to play bass for us. And I said, uh, okay, I'm not doing anything. You know, let's, let's go. So that's, that's what happened there. Whose place did you take in bass with the Turtles? Uh, Chuck Ports was his name. Oh. <laughs> and the way Mark described it, he said, Ports is getting crazy on us. You know, he's, he's, he's just... I, I never really hung out with Ports too much. I mean, I saw him and met him a few times when he was still in the group. But anytime someone would act weird in the Turtles when I was with them, Howard and Mark would look at each other and their eyes would get big and they would go, Ports? <laughs> you know, yeah. it, was, it was the running joke for someone getting a little nutty, you know, so... <laughs> It was probably minor nuttiness, and he probably just had disagreements with him. I don't know what the deal was, but they wanted me, so I, I well, said, Well, sure. Howard, Howard and Mark were pretty nutty on their own level, so if Ports was oh. the nutty guy, he must have been out there. <laughs> I, I suppose, you know, I, I'll have to talk to Mark one day and say, well, what was it exactly? Well, maybe you guys will have him on the show, and you can find out. What exactly <laughs> was it about ports that, yeah. you know, <laughs> made well, you decide? They were all high school that... buddies. So, I mean, it's like there's oh, yeah. probably some chemistry there that they were uh, together oh, in choir and stuff like that. Now, did you, yeah. how far back do you go with them as far as knowing them? Because you said you knew of them prior to joining the Turtles. I, I didn't really know them until they, I got into the group. Oh, they, okay. they, I, we'd seen each other on the road, passing by in Western recording studios while they were doing a session and MFQ was doing a session and we was, Hey, hi man, how are you doing? And we knew who each other wa was. And, mm -hmm. uh, so they knew of me and I knew of them. So 
<laughs> but we never got to be really close until we went on the road together. Right. And started working out happy together, which was one of the main things about that record, why it turned out as well as it did. We worked it on the road for about two and a half months or uh, at least a month or two. And we practiced it and changed things and had it pretty well down pat when we mm -hmm. went in the studio. And then it took one, two, three takes and it was done. You mm -hmm. know, so it was no fiddling around in the studio. Say, well, let's change this. Let's change. No, it was all worked out and went right down, which uh, I never had a chance to do that ever again with anything except modern folk quartet stuff which we did later we would but even then we were always working it out in the studio so something to be said for doing it on the road for a little while and getting it really good and, was that the only you, song oh sorry go ahead no. was that the only song you did that with or did you do that frequently with turtle songs uh i i didn't record too many things with them right i, only I know that really recorded that and that something else called can't you hear the cows? <laughs> I think, <laughs> and and one or two things preceding that, preceding the Happy Together session. Mm -hmm. But once Happy Together was done, I don't even recall recording anything subsequently. It, we just did the Smothers Brothers show, and then a, a live performance of the Whiskey, and Michael Nesmith came along, and uh, I was left the Turtles, and so <laughs> it and was. Then you're on Charles's show now. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I'll, we'll pick that up in another one. Right? Yeah. But um, can I ask you one thing about the Happy Together? I mean, obviously it ended up on the album. Are, is this you pictured on the album? This is the album cover. So you're on here? Or is that, uh, uh, is that Jim Pond's? No, I am not in. So that's, uh, that that's not Jim you Pons. there. Okay. Okay. Jim Pond's resting okay. his uh, head on uh, okay. Howard's thigh, I think it is. Okay. I don't yeah, think, no, yeah, you're not, yeah, you're not in this book. Yeah, this is, uh, so, yeah, they could, this is the, after you left, they did a, this is a 67 tour program. So anyway. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> no, the only picture, there's a, just a few pictures. One of them is, there's about two pictures of me with them. And one of them, I'm kind of sitting in the front, in the middle of all of them, and I have a string tie on. Hmm. And the other one is around a water fountain and we're all there's a fountain spouting in the background and we're all happy together <laughs> and it's, it's everybody's smiling a big smile and i don't know if that all the pictures looking, they have here seem to have jim pond's list <laughs> you're, you're looking for that picture mark yeah yeah i know which one he's talking about because i've seen it before but i don't have it yeah the other book i have here which has an even later picture is a Shindig magazine about no, the turtles. <laughs> Jim Pons, it's, as far as the turtles go, everybody comes up to me and says, oh, I saw your picture and I saw the TV show you did. And I said, no, that's yeah. not me. That's so the you, guy that replaced me. You have to look at the Smothers Brothers Yeah, show so you only did the Smothers a, Brothers one. Okay. With all the chairs yeah. around. Yeah. No, there were a couple others. We did the Mike Douglas show okay. and the Hollywood Palace. Okay. I'm in that show. That I'm on the upper upper right as you face the stage right. on in that show in a kind of a brown jacket that's a good show that uh it, we, we were all real happy there mm -hmm. i've seen a lot one. of those yeah. clips yeah like even that, that the brothers brothers one made it into the happy together documentary that was made quite a while yes back, so. it did it did 
Um, now, I have to ask this, even if Charles re-asks it later. <laughs> How, what influence did Michael Nesmith have to get you to quit the Turtles? Well, basically, it, it, I guess the, the big selling point was, uh, of course, I told, you know, I don't know about this, Mike. It, I mean, you know, I'm having an awful good time with these guys, and, and we got a hit record, and, and, and is this really going to work out? I mean, you've already got a guy that's running the show, and are you sure you're on the level about this? He says, I assure you, you'll be making six figures in six months, you know. Mm. And I said, well... All right, I'll give it a shot. I still, I, I had my doubts all the way until I met them and started working with them and then met Kirshner and I realized, oh, I'm, I'm really doing this now. So, uh, you know, that was, he, that, that was the selling point, one of them anyway. So, but so I you, knew him and I, he was sincere about it. So I said, okay. So you joined up with the monkeys prior to Kirshner's dismissal? Yes, he oh. was... Uh, we had a, a meeting at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and Lester Sill was there, and Don Kirshner, and Don Kirshner's lawyer sitting right there on the side. And he was basically saying, I'm still in charge, so I'm going to be making the decisions as to what the boys will be recording. And I said, well, okay, that sounds all right to me. And here are some of the things that have come in to be recorded. And I think he played a little bit me, a little bit you. And he also played Sugar Sugar. And I thought to myself, huh, what will my friends think if I do a song like that? You are my candy girl. I, I just, I, I, I thought, no, oh, it didn't, didn't sit right with me. So when it came time to do that, I, I, I never did push it with the guys. There'd probably be no Archies if I had. You know, they would have come out with the monkeys. There was a couple songs that I let slip by me that uh, they could have been huge hits for them too. And one of them was Lazy Day as well. You know, and uh, for some reason that just never stuck with me. And I, we worked on other things. So, did you have the choice of what songs they did, or pretty much they had the choice? Well, I. I Lester Sill would present all of the stuff from Screen Gems EMI music that had come in. And these were songs for the monkeys and, you know, Man and Wild songs and Coffin and King songs and uh, Jack Keller and uh, all these different writers. And I played them for the guys. So I kind of would go through them and, the, you know, some I played for them and I guess some I thought, well, maybe we won't work on that <laughs> stuff. So I should have played everything and see what they did. But it was their choice, you know, and, you know, different things would come along like Cuddly Toy or was it uh, that I've been standing on the cone. Don't think I'll ever get it off of my mind. Davey would pipe up. That's for me, man. You know, that, that's for me, you know, and, 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 and we would just kind of allocate to who, who wants to do this. And so it was a group decision. So, was it, was it a drastic change going from a band that was an actual band in that they played all their instruments to a band that could play their instruments, but were being supplemented by the wrecking crew and by other musicians? Was that a, a very big change of worlds? 
for them, it was because they'd never really, I mean, Mickey never was the drummer on the recording sessions with uh, Boyce and Hart. He, he, he sang on all of the stuff and all the hits and, but uh, he'd never really played the drums and he didn't have, he was just beginning on the drums and he played left-handed and he had to turn the drums around a different way. And so he wasn't the steadiest drummer in the world when we did our headquarters album, but I learned how to edit tape. I'll tell you <laughs> during the <laughs> time of doing that, that album and uh, we're getting off the subject of the turtles but uh we can come back to that so yeah. so no, I'll what, go ahead what i what i was actually uh, meaning to go for was the fact that you were with the turtles who were playing they were a unit they could go out live they were recording in the studio that was that was a set group so here this was another world for you because you were coming in not as the bass player not as a musician but that and now you're a producer Right? Yeah, so I decided to play bass just so that we could have a four-part combo to do the tracks with. Bass, drums, guitar, and keyboard, and sometimes 12-string in Peter's case. And I just felt that might be the best way to go about it. Besides the fact, I like to play. <laughs> and Bert Schneider advised me, he said, don't play with them, buddy. You know, just stay there behind the glass and supervise and tell them what take is good. I just, I don't know. I, I, I looking back on that, I, I just decided to play the bass and, and do it that way. And I, I thought it'd be easier and we'd have more fun as a combo of four guys, you know, and, and of course we had Davey on tambourine and there was a fifth guy in the studio. So yeah, uh, some things we did with Peter and, and they did as a trio. I think, you just may be the one. I think that track was done with Peter playing the bass. Da 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 da. That that flat picking thing that he did in it, and that was done as a trio. I don't think I played on that even. So you know, it could have been done either way, but it is what it is now. <laughs> so is, is bass really the main thing you play, or did you play yeah. other things as well? No, okay. I I mostly played the bass on on everything okay. that I did with them, or ninety percent of everything I did with them. Now, we, we might have more monkeys questions later, but I'll, I'll just do turtle stuff. So, flash forward. So, we're, we're just going to jump through this. You did Headquarters, you did Pisces, you did Daydream Believer, and then suddenly, you went back to the turtles. How'd that happen? Well, the monkeys wanted to do their own thing, and each guy had his own entourage of musicians that was beginning to gather around, and he was they were beginning to hang out with. So each guy wanted to produce his own sides and there was no room for me anymore because they were doing their own thing. So I was basically kind of out of a job with the monkeys and, and then the turtles came along. Actually, I think it was Herb. I don't know. Herb Cohen was managing them at the time, but they they wanted to do an album called The Battle of the Bands. And uh, I had written a tune with Harry Nilsson. I didn't do much in the way of writing it. I just, when that, that song was born, incidentally, the title song for The Battle of the Bands, when Harry Nilsson visited me at my place in Laurel Canyon one, one evening, and we sat around and I got my rhythm guitar and I started playing a D7th 
rhythm chord. And he was sitting at my harmonium, harmonium which I, I bought this pump organ years before with the MFQ. And he would just, but he turned away from the harmonium and began to just kind of clap his hands and ad-lib this song. I happened to have my tape cassette recorder going. And so he ad-libbed that song word for word, just like you see it on the album, one time through. And wow. somewhere I have that tape too. <laughs> I have to look for it, and hopefully it's not covered with more. But two bucks, a ticket, got right. to get with it on the night they had one time through. And I, well, I happened to make a chord change at one point, and then he went on to a different thing. And so I, I was all I was doing was playing rhythm guitar. But he, really, the song almost belongs to him. But I did change the chord at one point and <laughs> offer a. a a new place to go in the melody and stuff like that, you know. So yeah, but that was amazing. I, I couldn't believe that he, he did that, you know. And that's he was a, a genius, Harry. I, I loved him. He was so fun to hang out with, you know, just a little smile and loved that voice. You know, he'd demonstrate his songs that he'd written and play them on the piano and sing them. And oh, just great. <laughs> I had met him. A couple of years, a year or two before, with when the Modern Folk Quartet was taken under Phil Spector's wing, and we began to rehearse songs at Phil's house all the time, and a lot of them, most of them, were Harry Nilsson songs. <laughs> and he, I, we, we uh, where do these songs come from? He said, well, well, I have this writer, uh, Harry Nilsson. He, he's it's a friend of mine, and he writes all the stuff. Says Phil, you know. So I eventually met Harry, and we became friends at that point. So I knew him before he came in with songs for the monkeys, which was good because I knew, ah, you, the, the guy with all the songs with Phil Spector. Yeah, come on in, you know, and what do you got? So that interesting how life unfolds for you when, well, when you you're young. We can't, we can't talk about. <laughs> We can't talk about recording with Phil Spector without touching upon that. We talked about the Pines with some of these guys being nuts. Was Spector, I mean, was he crazy? Or was he a genius? Or what was he like in those days? Well, genius is, geniuses are <laughs> often nutty, you know, I guess you could say. But he was really into karate in those days. And we would have to wait while he practiced his karate lessons upstairs with his couple of karate instructors. And then he would come down and we would play and And mostly he would, he would sing songs for us and kind of auditioning them and hopefully for us to learn how to sing, but he did all the singing. And so we would sit around and kind of do some background. But one time he did a he, he he said well i'll have my karate guys come down and and do a demonstration for you so we met this one karate his main guru uh, he was a a guy who was from hawaii uh, originally i guess and he get a, did a demonstration of you know this routine where you take out 10 guys upstairs and there was nobody he was just by himself but he was you know, going all over the room. Well, yeah, wham, 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 you know, and, uh, wow. So later, Cyrus, Cyrus, uh, Faryar, so his, he speaks so beautifully and his mind is so amazing. And he got into a discussion with 
Santi F. Joe, it was his name, Santi. And he, uh, they talked for a while. And after, after a while, Cyrus was laying all his, his philosophies of this and that and the other thing. And we heard the guy say at one point, uh, Cyrus said, well, what about the ego and stuff like that? I know you meditate to re reduce that. And he says, well, I have ego now, but is controlled. <laughs> and we all went, oh, my God. Well, what happens if this ego gets out of control? You know, what's going to happen to us? <laughs> so, but that, at the end of the conversation, this fellow turns to Cyrus and he says, and he was from Hawaii, so he's slightly pidgin English. You know, he said, you get good way of thinking, you know, <laughs> to Cyrus. So Henry and I constantly use this expression and we joke about it all the time. Just the other day I was talking to Henry. He says, well, one thing is that I, I've still got, got good hair. And I says, and you got good way of thinking too. <laughs> and we all have a laugh, you know. So, <laughs> so that's Mark, become one of our expressions. Mark, before we ask more terrible questions, Henry Diltz is very much in line with you. Uh, with 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 the modern with the band with turtles with monkeys i mean he's really alongside you you're doing producing he's doing photo shoots and playing too right yeah you guys you guys were close from the beginning and still are is that right still are we i talk to him and once or twice a week if i can mostly when he's driving from laguna to la and vice versa because that's his lifestyle he leaves Tuesday night and drives down to LA spends Wednesday, Thursday, and then drives back to Laguna on Friday to be at another place with his lady friend. Mm -hmm. uh, so I talk to him on those, those times when he has nothing to do. Cause otherwise he's, I got to sign 50 photos right now. And so, yeah. uh, you know, and that's what he does when he's back in LA he's signing photos, 40 or 50 each time he's there does a, uh, that's what he does, and that's uh, with the, for the gallery. I met him once well, we because he was at the 50th anniversary for Head in L.A. in 2018, and it had Nesmith. I might have been there, too, or was I? I can't well, I don't know. They did announce you being there, but uh, it was uh, Nesmith and Dolans and Andrew Sandoval, and they, they mentioned a few people like Rodney Binghamheimer and a few others in the audience. They didn't mention you, but you could have been there. I don't know. I, I might there. not have, but go okay. ahead. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's when I met Henry, and they showed this film that he did briefly of the monkeys, uh, of just black and white photos they had taken around the time of Head. It was like a ten-minute film with a music track, and it it was pretty sharp. I liked it. Oh, <laughs> uh, 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 Super Eight film that he had he had done. Is yeah, it, and they pro yeah. they projected it on the big screen, and it looked good. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I got lots of Super 8 Henry, stuff Henry that I was, took of uh, Mickey and Davey in the 70s. But anyway, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, Henry uh, was at one of my conventions. The last time I saw Henry, he was touring with Patty Boyd, uh, George Harrison's you know, first wife, and they were yes. doing a photo, a photo tour of the two of them. And it was great, great production. But we know his prowess in films was he a good musician too? I mean, why was that put to the back burner? Well, Henry, the things that amaze me about him is his expertise on the chromatic harmonica. You know, he can, that's a very difficult thing to play because it goes in half step. And, but he's really good on that or 
you know, he's a little out of practice nowadays, probably. But he had, we call it the bump ditty style on the five string banjo. It's a Pete Seeger brush stroke. Dum, jicka, dum, jicka, dum, jicka, dum, jicka, dum. And many of our modern folk quartet songs were that rhythm carried it. We have a Christmas album that we did for a Japanese company called MFQ Christmas. And Jim Yester also helped us on that. And a lot of the songs that I produced on that, Jerry did some and I did some. Jerry's approach was more with a sequencer and things like that and more elaborate arrangements. I, my thing was always just like headquarters. We got to play the instruments, you know? <laughs> so we had Jerry on the auto harp, me on the bass, Cyrus on the ukulele, and Henry on the banjo. And we did all the tracks that I wanted to do that way. And it was about six or seven of them, I guess, you know. But the rhythm that Henry gets on that, dun, jigga, dun, jigga, dun, jigga, dun, jigga, dun, is just great, you know. And uh, he never picks up the banjo. I'm always chiding him, say, do you ever pick up that banjo anymore, you know? And I also tell him, you know, you could have your own album up. Just call it the Bump Diddy album. It's just <laughs> you you and the banjo. And just start with that. You sing and accompany yourself on the banjo. And never mind the whole session with all the players and this and that and the other thing. And just start there. And and he's like, he gives me the same thing. You and I, I got to do my Hawaiian style album on the guitar. And so he <laughs> pitches me on that. And I pitch him on his Bump Diddy album. So. We just got through doing that last uh, two or three days ago, you know. <laughs> so anyway, maybe one day we'll he, he'll get that done and uh, put it on. I mean, he has many, many f Facebook fans. I mean, he'd, he'd sell 30,000 of them immediately yeah. just by putting it up there and say, hey, here it is, you know, so someday. But he's too busy signing photos now, so... <laughs> But great guy. I love the guy so much. When he gets he's writer's just... cramp, he can do it. <laughs> Sorry? When he gets writer's cramp, he can do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. We're going back to the Battle of the Bands. Now, you have that song, but was that a natural thing to come up as a theme to do that album where each song was a completely different style, or did that just evolve? How did that it, come about? It, I guess um, Mark and Howard kind of came up with that idea or, and along with their road manager at the time, Rick Soderling, I guess was his name. And he put together all the pictures for that album and, 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 you know, got the costumes rented and all of that stuff. And somewhere along the lines that, Oh, the battle of the bands. Great. We'll do an album and we'll take a picture as a different band on every song. So every song would be supposedly played by a different group so well there was <laughs> the bluegrass fireball was some song that had a banjo in it and there was a enchilada sorry there's one with enchilada as the name of the group i can't the oh, cosmic the enchilada, enchilada yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was a, like a psychedelic sort of song that we did i think called the the voices of light maybe and yeah. I've always wanted to know this, so I have the album, I don't have it in front of me, but um, some of the pictures of the group have five members, and some of the pictures of the group have six, but the, the face is obscured. Were you that sixth member, or is it somebody else in those pictures? Uh, the, on, the only 
picture that I'm in, I'm wearing a coonskin cap, and that's the bluegrass, the bluegrass okay, so fireball album. Because a, a few of the groups were six members, and I said, I wonder if Chip was the sixth member on those, <laughs> you, know, you know, not well, officially playing, but just for the photo shoot. <laughs> I didn't really play anything on that yeah. album except the B3 Hammond organ and kicking off the You Showed Me tune. That was, uh, that was me getting the thing started on that. That was, I believe, the only song I played on the album because Pons was a bass player, so I wasn't playing bass. I just was coaching him a little bit, say, well, put this part in and bump, 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 you know, the little accents and stuff like that. But, yeah, you showed me. Uh, that, was, that was my one thing that I played with him on. So tell me the story on that. We've, I've heard it before, but I'd rather hear it from you. You know, why you showed me uh, came out like it did, at the tempo it did. Well, uh, I guess it just, that was the way I kind of liked it. Uh, and I showed it to him that way on my harmonium that Harry had clapped his hands and done the Battle of the Bands while sitting at earlier when they came up to my place and I played it as best I could on the harmonium and it's it's a kind of an instrument that you you got to pump your feet and you can't really that, 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 that you can't play too much up tempo stuff on it so I just played it that way and they their eyes lit up and said this is great this is for us you know the Mark and Howard their their eyes would get big whenever they liked an idea you know is a yeah, you know, so anyway, that's that that was the approach we took. Uh, McGuinn and uh Crosby and um uh Clark, Clark yeah, <laughs> there we go, they <laughs> sat around at the troubadour on Monday nights and played that song, uh, among others, as before they became the birds, and that's where I heard it was just, you showed me how to do exactly what you do. It was more Beatle-like, yeah. the way they did it. And uh, I just kind of had my own approach to it, I guess, and that's how well, it... The, the story I heard, and this is what I was trying to get from you, but that's okay. If, uh, if it's different, I'd like to hear the truth, <laughs> is that it was an upbeat song um, when the birds played it, or whatever their name was then. I don't know if they were called the birds. Um, and then when you played it on your uh, organ thing, it, was, it wasn't quite working correctly, so you couldn't play it faster, even if you wanted to. And that's why they said, no, let's keep it this speed. That's, that's the story I've heard. I don't know if that's correct. So you can that's clarify the correct. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, that was the... Uh, but I may have... I think I, think I, I kind of played it that way. That's my recollection, just because I liked it in that little slower tempo. Mm, okay. uh, and, but yeah, yeah, I couldn't, I didn't play it on the guitar. I might, if I'd had a guitar, I might've played it like Crosby mm. and all of them, you know, with the Beatle approach. But yeah, that's, you're probably right, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Now, how did, you happen to re how did you happen to remember it? Because it wasn't released by the birds at that time, correct? I guess I must've sat around and played it or something okay. because <laughs> I, 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 I knew it. Yeah. And I had probably, I think I checked with Roger McGuinn at one point. I said, oh, what's the rest of the words of that and how does it go? But I heard it so many times okay. at the Troubadour Hoots that it just was drummed into my head. And that's, that's basically where I heard it. There was a tape floating around that has them 
playing that song just like that. Uh, I think I have it. As a matter of fact, it's an old tape of Gene Clark's that I wound up hanging on to some, for some reason. Uh, but it, it, it's them playing it like that, like the Beatle, Beatle approach. That may exist somewhere on an album, I'm not sure. I think it came out on this album called Pre-Flight, which came out a long time later, where they put early birds things, you know, and they put it out because, hey, Turtles did this song, you know, so it was already a hit at that point. So, Yeah, I um, think you're right. Um, now, did you play it when you were in the Gene Clark group also, possibly? Or? Uh, I, you know, I don't remember. I don't think we... I don't think we worked that one up. Gene was mainly working on his own songs. And that song was written by Roger McGuinn, Chris Hillman, and a guy named Harvey Gerst, who worked at the JBL loudspeaker factory. And he took me on a tour there once to (laughs) see how the JBL speakers were made. So it wasn't really a Gene Clark song, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, he just worked on his own stuff when, we, when I was with him. Okay. Then, the, then the next thing I know about what you did was kind of something that both the Turtles in, its, in a certain way and the Monkees in a certain way both did, which is your song Christmas is My Time of Year. How did that come out? Come about? That was a... It's funny. I just <laughs> I've just told these stories to the to the the cow sills yesterday. <laughs> these <Yeah>. very same <laughs> questions, but no no problem. Maybe I'll tell it better on your show. Yeah. But the uh, it's Christmas. Howard Kalen had come up to my house one day, and we were sitting around, and you know, smoking a doobie or whatever, and we got to talking about Christmas or something. And it was right around that time of year, I guess. And Howard. He, he looked at me with those eyes again, kind of glinting and looking down or looking up. To, and he went, Christmas is my time of year. And that's all he did. And then I think I chimed in, oh, that's when there's love and good cheer. And we might have tried to write a few verses, but those words never stuck to the verses. Uh, later... I, I did a version with uh, Mark, I think, and maybe Howard, too, called The Christmas Spirit, and I had the gospel pearls in the background, and it was a forerunner of the the version that I did with the monkeys, and it had different words. Right. They weren't as good, I didn't think, and so I, that bothered me a year or two later. You know, these words in the verses, they're not, uh, they're not good. So mm-hmm. I rewrote it a bit and then got a hold of Eddie Ho, who was in a halfway house at that point, and I dragged him out to play drums at the Annex Studios, and I called Peter Tork, and he was, I, I had called Mike, too, but he was too busy and didn't want to do anything, of so, <laughs> yes, and so Peter and myself on my Telecaster guitar and Eddie Ho did the basic track to that. Peter was kind of playing the bass part on the Hammond organ on the bass pedals, at least to start it with, you can, you can just hear it underneath the bells in the very beginning of it. You, you hear some Christmas bells going chime, chime, chime. 
and Peter is going boom, 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 boom on the bass pedals of the Hammond organ. And then he kind of disappears throughout the rest of it because I put so much other stuff in there. When, you know, it's just the Hammond organ part got sort of, you, know, you can't hear it that well. But anyway, that's how the Monkees track was done. And then I called Mickey and David and said, hey, I got this track. You know, you guys want to come in and maybe we'll put it together. And I still love it because, you know, they, they both, it's Mickey and Davey sharing the lead vocals of it. And they each, each verse fits that particular guy particularly well, I thought. You know, Davey's do it. Uh, Mickey does the second bar. We could make this feeling last forever thing. And, you know, it's, I have often thought about that song. You know, too bad we didn't have a, just a little better idea for the chorus of it. I, it's sort of, you know, I don't know. I don't want to analyze my own stuff or Howard's chorus or something, but I was, I've often thought, well, wouldn't it have been better if we did Christmas? Is that wonderful time of year? Is that a, <laughs> my time of year? Right. You know? So I, I don't I, know. I do have it two questions about it, though. Um, the first wait, version. Wait, I want to ask, oh. ask which version uh, you like better, Chip? The okay. monkeys or the Beatles or, or the oh, Turtles version? The Beatles version. <laughs> oh, the, mon- the monkeys version. The Turtles oh. version, We it wasn't really the Turtles. It was just... I think Mark and Howard and I put together a track with, I don't know who played on that, maybe Joe Larson or somebody, but the word, you know, I haven't heard it in so long. And what were those, (laughs) the gospel pearls doing in there on the background that, well, we were just into those kind of voices in those days. We liked those. We called them the Incredible voices where, you know, it had this, (laughs) we tried to sound like gospel singers, you know, uh, a black gospel choir. We were, Mark was always singing those high parts in his high falsetto. So right. we, we, we wanted to do that. And I, so yeah, I haven't heard it in a while, but I like the monkeys version. <laughs> that was the one I settled on, so to speak. So my and question, it never became, my, my questions about were, why wasn't the original one released as the turtles? Because actually John Barbada played drums on it. So it had three fifths of the turtles. I guess I guess you're right. He did play drums on it. That's, that's yeah. You know, he told I us in an interview. That. We did interview him a while back. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. Uh, they didn't. Uh, who whoever was running the record company wasn't interested or something. I, I, I guess. <laughs> I, I'm sure I played it for them. You know, Lila Sepp and okay. uh, uh, the other guy, uh, Ted Fagan. See? Because it seems like it would have sold better. Now, is is Linda Ronstadt on that one too, or is she only on the B side? I believe she's on that one too. Yeah. Okay. okay. So it, it turned out to be something called the Christmas Spirit, I believe. Right. And uh, yeah. but Linda and I were going together at the time, right. and so <laughs> she was. I was involving her with everything I did, and you know, I would have done ten thousand more things that I know. You know. <laughs> what uh, what value they might have in the future so were anyway. you with were you with her when she recorded a different drum or was that pre your relationship no that was uh, before okay. i came okay. along after <laughs> when she went to do her first solo album on capitol herb cohen hired me he was her manager at the time he hired me to produce that album which was a strange album because 
it was a mixture of two different kinds of music. I was coming from the pop side and she wanted to do a country album. And I didn't know a thing about country music then. Uh, now I wish I had it to do all over again because it would have done an entire country album and more rock and roll at that. But, you know, things turn out the way they turn out when they do. So. Okay, my last, my last Christmas is my time of year question. Um, so on the monkeys version that was done later, uh, did any of the monkeys record together or uh, was it Mickey and uh, Davey together or everybody was separate? Uh, Mickey and Davey were there at the same time, I mm-hmm. believe. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, they came in on the same night and they just sh- shared the, you know, and sang harmony to one another. And I can't recall if I put Mickey's harmony part on separately or what, but I, I do believe they were there at the same time. Now, is this all recorded in L.A. or in Hawaii? Uh, That was done, uh, the session, you mean? Yeah. The recording? Yeah, that was done at the Annex Studios, which is where Elvis preferred to record, as opposed to RCA. He did all his soundtrack stuff there at the Annex with his favorite engineer was a guy named Thorn Nogar, big, tall, Swedish guy. And uh, he owned and ran the place. And, and my friend Jerry Esther worked as an engineer there part-time. And I could pay him and pay a little bit to the studio and have a studio to work in, you know. So I did a lot of stuff there, or most of my stuff in those days, including my instrumental version of a thing I put together after I saw the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, I got an idea to make an instrumental based on that little ba-ba-ba-bum-bum theme song that they use. And the idea was you've got a guy sitting on a back porch in a field somewhere, and he's got his acoustic guitar, and he goes on the guitar, and all of a sudden, spaceships appear and they answer back and they go da, 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 da. and pretty soon they're having this big duel and I call the thing dueling encounters and I don't know I guess I got to put it up there on the streaming services one of these days and you know maybe someone will be interested in hearing it it never came out I, I shopped it all over town because they hadn't released a, a single from that movie yet and Nobody wanted it. Everybody loved it, but they didn't want it. So anyway, it never, never made the grade, but, you know, still exists. <laughs> I have another Christmas question, but not about that. Oh, song. okay. Okay. And this will probably jump on Charles's territory again, but I have to ask this. And when I was working on my monkeys books, which I think I showed prior to the show, so I'll give a plug. Here's my two monkeys books. So when I was oh, doing okay. this one, which is about their solo years, I was very confused about Davy Jones's Christmas album because it says that you recorded the tracks in Hawaii, but what year were they recorded? Because it seems like the album came out in the 70s, and then it seems like it came out in the 90s. Was it recorded in the 70s or the 90s or both or what? No, it was recorded in the 90s. I believe we figured out it was 93. And I recently... In 2020, early in 2020, Annabelle Jones and Bobby Boyce are called and said, hey, we want to redo, rehash this album and remix it and all of that stuff. And 
drop out some of the background singers and put whatever you can do. And Annabelle wants to sing on it, too, with her dad. So she sang on White Christmas and uh, Silent Night. And I figured out some harmony parts for her in the right places. And so and I made some changes and added some things and digitally worked with it a lot to hopefully make it better. And so that's out there, I guess, now on uh, yeah. Not Too Late Records, something yeah. I think I they in call the it. cabinet back there behind me, but... Oh yeah, I have to run back there and pick it up. But it's the first time I actually found it easily accessible. It's not an easy album to come by. <laughs> no, it, Davey never had it released by anyone or anything. It's only now that there's some distributor that uh, we worked with in Nashville that owned by Sony and something. So it it's actually out there now <laughs> and can be found somewhere online. I guess uh, <laughs> I'm. I'm not sure. We'll see what happens this Christmas. Maybe it'll pick up a little more airplay because there's some great stuff on there. I, lo I love the way Davey sings on that entire album. Some of the best singing of his career, I think. Just, uh, you know, it, was, it just sounds charming. And the way he recites the Lord's Prayer in uh, Silent Night in the middle. We didn't know what to do. Uh, we, we need an instrumental. What do we do here? And then he... I got it, man. The Lord's Prayer. I'll recite the Lord's Prayer. And I said, okay, well, it's, and he sounds like Richard Burton or somebody in there, you know, and the Lord said, thou shalt have, and he recites the Lord's Prayer, uh, I mean, the Ten Commandments, rather, in, in the middle there. So that was an added thing. And then Annabelle comes in and sings harmony and so on and so forth. But Was that yeah. the same section that gave us the... Davies, the Hawaiian Christmas song. The uh, say again. The, yeah, there's one Hawaiian Christmas song. Mark, yeah, the, that one Hawaiian the, Christmas song that came from the same session, right? Yeah, exactly. It was all done uh, in '93, and some of it I changed things a little bit for the Chris, the Hawaiian songs to give it a little different beat. Because I was experimenting with reggae. I was to a Hawaiian song. Reggae mm -hmm. is big in the island, so we'll try to do a reggae beat to this thing. And that didn't work as well as the more country tempo style that it's in on this new release. Mm -hmm. But the new release is pretty good. It's, uh, I'm much happier with it. You know, A couple of them ended up on the Monkey's Christmas Party. Were you involved in any way on that or that you just... Contributed a couple of the songs. I, yeah. I I didn't realize that. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, um, uh, if it was the same album, yeah, that was the one we did. From the it's not the whole session. album. It, they just took a couple of the Davy tracks from way back when. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, Peter and Mickey did embellish on them, or at least Mickey. But I could be wrong on that. But I'd have to look at that. Uh, the, there was a couple that were done on the Monkeys Christmas album that came out recently. Yeah, that's what that I'm were talking about. Yeah. Re rehashed by Adam Schlesinger. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that was before this, we rehashed the album. So we didn't use those. On, well, we couldn't. Those are different masters, but they're a little different. Oh, okay. Silver Bells and Meli Kaliki Mako, they're yeah. a little bit different, you know, so. Oh. I didn't know they were the exact take or not, so that confirms that. Yeah, okay. they're exact, from oh. the exact same take, but he added more keyboards and oh, okay. silver bells and things. And I personally love the silver bells, the way it's 
exists now on the new release of uh, because it has the the background parts that we wanted Mike and Mickey to do, but <laughs> they they could you know Mickey with COVID he wasn't going out of the house and I uh, wasn't there on the mainland to get him in the studio and Mike was you know not as interested as he could could be. So anyway, I used a couple other people in the background on that, including. Annabelle, I guess, and a guy named John Hoke, who played in the John Stewart band. Great singer, and he helped me a lot on that album, arranging and mixing, stuff like that. So, yeah. Now, after Battle of the Bands and Christmas Spirit and everything like that, you went back to the Monkees again with Steam Engine briefly. Uh, did you do anything else with the Turtles, or they didn't want you for Turtle Soup, or... That was it. They were just no, that was it with the turtles. We had a a, a big disagreement one day. I didn't <laughs> I didn't look at it as anything to disagree over, but they were sitting around and they were really hitting the bong in those days, so to speak. <laughs> and they were all sitting around one day, and I came over to have a meeting with them, and I said, "Well, you know, the Battle of the Bands came out, and and it did okay, but it didn't really, you know." go to the top of the charts or anything. I think maybe what we need to do is feature Howard's voice more on the songs, on more of the songs with Mark singing that marvelous high harmony to him. And <laughs> I just never forget. No chip was the unanimous. It's almost like they all said together, no chip. We're, we're a family here. You know, we all share in everything equally. And they regret that now because, you know, Eleanor has five writers on it. Right. And Howard wrote it. Mm -hmm. But everybody else got credit in spite of the fact, well, Johnny Barbada wrote Eleanor Love Me. He wrote that. And I came up with a line, what did I come up with to replace? And you really ring the bell and you really do me well. I changed that line. I said, you know, and you really ring the bell. That's, that doesn't quite cut it. Does it, you know, how about, <laughs> and you really do me well. And they said, okay, okay. So they did that. Actually, I got a great compliment from Larry Nectel one time, a studio musician. I rubbed shoulders with him in the studio. He was going one way, I was going to the other. Hey, I heard that, Eleanor, you know, and I like that line, and you really do me well, you know. I said, oh, thank you very much, you know. And so that's like, he's not with us anymore, but beautiful guy, you know. It's, uh, I, I, I wish I had used him more on sessions because he was the man that you, that played the piano and everything. But we were, I was producing groups that played their own instruments, so, you know. So, that's Inter how it went. In interesting that they had such a group camaraderie when then only like a year or two later they're Flo and Eddie and became that way for the rest of their career and didn't really participate much with the rest of the guys anymore <laughs> I know you know I but I, I totally disagreed with them becoming Flo and Eddie I said you guys are the turtles you have four or five hits to your credit yeah. you know why don't you just keep going and make more turtle hits and but they you know they they were in awe of zappa i guess and then they and perhaps herb cohen was zappa's manager at the time and he may have had 
a little bit of influence and in talking them into coming with Zappa. And so, yeah, I never, uh, I, I didn't, I mean, they are known as Flo and Eddie now and the Turtles right. and whatever. But uh, I just thought, you've got this great track record of all these songs. And you, you come out with another one with that voice of Howard Kalin singing it. And whatever you guys can do in the background, you're bound to bound to keep going and keep but no and so everything all things must pass as george yes, harrison yes. said you know <laughs> so um like i said you went back to work briefly with the monkeys again or at least mickey on this song called steam engine was that done primarily for the saturday morning reruns or how, what, how did that well that was around? that was again that was a, just a little a crazy idea I came up with, and looking back, I think, <laughs> what a strange song, you know. <laughs> but the whole idea, see, I grew up on a sugar plantation, and we had these little steam trains that would come by my kindergarten class that carry the sugar cane from the fields. To, so I was always fascinated with steam trains and steam engines, and I thought, well, this is like a period piece. Here's a guy who's chasing after this locomotive that's flying by and his girl is on the train and he's trying to catch up in a car. And that was my whole vision on the thing. I, I, I'm not sure that everybody gets the point of it, you know, <laughs> but that was, so I went in and I got some horn players and wrote a chart. I, I think Shorty Rogers might've written out the parts or Jerry Esther or somebody. And I went in and spent a bunch of money at Western studios doing this track. Mickey wasn't there it was just written out and uh, I think Shorty might've helped me arrange it. I, I, it was, I was working with Shorty and Jerry yesterday then, but anyway, so I had this track and I managed to talk Mickey into coming in and singing it. So it was a, another song that was done and it wasn't, it wasn't ever released on an album then. I think it, it's now just kind of come out on, yeah, they have these like the monkeys. missing links collections. Missing you know, links, like, yeah. yeah. Um, now, the inevitable question after working with all these groups, which group was more fun to work with, the Turtles or the Monkeys? Well, they were... We had more disagreements in the Monkeys uh, from time to time, but mostly during the headquarters albums. It was just a blast. You know, we came in every morning at 7 o'clock and started in and just had it was a real labor of love that headquarters album and later when they stopped playing their own instruments and we did it it was a little different and I, we weren't all together then but in the headquarters album everybody was together in the studio all day long and all night long and dinner break and we just kept at it because we had to the show was going to come back on the air and they wouldn't have any time so <laughs> But we would disagree from time to time about stuff. And Peter Tork's famous way of ending the arguments was always a slightly, you're the producer, <laughs> you know, and off he'd go. So, I can well, sorry, picture you know, him saying that. <laughs> you're the producer. <laughs> it was a... <laughs> they should have done an episode about making the headquarters album for the TV show. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, 
I do have to ask this just out of curiosity. I know your real name is not Chip Douglas. Where did you get the name Chip? Oh, that was, and I told this story for the cow sales. Just oh, the other I day should too. listen to the cow sales. <laughs> Actually, I, I just listened to the, or, or just watched the cow sales documentary that was made a few years back. Just watched it. It's like an incredible story. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. No, they're great. Uh, I had, anyway, I can't say enough about good things about them, but. When my sister was born, I, I think the doctor said, well, why don't you name, nickname her? She was before me, two years before. Why don't you nickname her Twig? <laughs> so, and if you have a boy, then you can call, nickname him Chip. And you're Chip and Twig. And so, the, so my sister was nicknamed Twig, and then I come along and I'm Chip. So my real name, of course, is Douglas Farthing Hatlet, to be exact. And but I, in high school, I I did I wanted to have a different name. And my friend Bob Shane and the Kingston Trio had changed his last name, although he only changed the spelling of it. It was a German name, S C H O E N, Bob Shane, and he changed it to S H A N E. And I thought, well. If Bob Shane can have a stage name, I think I'll, I'll have one too. So I started calling myself Chip Douglas. But that's way back in high school, long before My Three Sons. And I always said, <laughs> My Three Sons ruined my stage name. I, yeah. <laughs> I was doing fine, you know, with Chip. And all along comes a TV series. And now I'm getting confused with this other guy, you know. <laughs> oh, I even had one guy. I never told this to the Cow Sills show, but... There was one guy that came up to me and said, well, what's your name? And uh, you know, oh, my name is Chip Douglas. Is Chip Douglas. Oh, well, then you must know Fred McMurray. <laughs> I said, no, <laughs> that's a TV show. You know, it's a different whole deal. It's Fred McMurray, of course, is, you know, played the dad on My Three Sons. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so... Do you keep in touch with everybody uh, these days? I mean, you said Henry, of course, but I mean, uh, Mike or Mickey or uh, any of the turtles or anybody else? I've, I've, <laughs> I've called Mike from time to time and we talked not too long ago, mostly trying to see if he'd help with the Davy album and add a couple of harmony parts here and there. And Mickey said he would too. And he wound up just kind of doubling on uh, you know god rest you married gentlemen that the, the other ones were too tedious for him to do he was i was having him do it at home because he didn't want to go to a studio but so i talked to mickey a bunch over that period of time and mike and then one night i don't know what i was doing i was sitting around here having a glass of wine before dinner or something and i got some idea in my head and i called mike but it was like 11 o'clock his time and he answers the phone he goes hello i said Mike, what are you doing? And, you know, it's the middle of the night. <laughs> I said, oh, sorry. Okay, well, maybe he said, call me tomorrow. And so I forget what I was steamed up about. But, uh, you know, I don't have the, you know, I can't, I don't pick up the phone and call them <laughs> all too often. And they're usually always busy and you get the answering machine and they'll call you back. But if I got something important, I will talk to Mickey and Mike sometimes, you know. But Henry a lot, and my friend Cyrus always. I call him once a week at least. Anybody else, like from the Turtles, Mark or Howard or anybody else? No, I haven't. I called Howard, uh, Mark, 
just to check up and see how Howard was doing, because I heard he had had some strokes and stuff and health problems. And so I called Mark, and that's the last time I, I talked to him. And he said, well, I'm not sure if he's going to join us on the Happy Together Tour or not. And then I talked to the Cow Sills, and I didn't realize they open or they are, share the bill with the yeah. with the turtles on that Happy Together Tour, which I would love to see sometime right. if I get to the California. And Ron Dante singing him for Howard now from the Archies. So. I see. Yeah, yeah. So I've never met him. It all but, comes. Uh, it all comes full circle, <laughs> with the sugar, sugar, and the turtles, and now Ron Dante singing with the. <laughs> I was he the lead singer on Sugar, Sugar? Yeah. Yes. In he all was. the all the original Archie's albums that came out in the late '60s, oh, okay. early '70s, but he was like incognito. You know, he 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 sang on other stuff, the Cufflinks and. Uh, uh, what was the earlier group? Oh, the uh, leader of the laundromat, that uh, novelty song and things like that. So he oh, yeah. he's had a career, and then he started producing Barry Manilow records later and things like that. So oh, geez. He took your route and went through producer. <laughs> I wish Barry Manilow was still active recording because I heard a song uh, written by Davey's former band drummer, when his solo band, a guy named Terry P. Smith, called easy love and i thought this is so perfect for barry manilow but how do you get it to him and well we never did and, I, and he's retired by now but uh, if you're listening barry you could still have a hit with that song one more Contact album. Us. <laughs> abba came back why not <laughs> you know if you can still sing why why quit exactly. you know well performing is one thing but yeah. recording is another it's a lot less time consuming and on the road i wouldn't like to be on the road constantly myself right. i did it when i was in my 20s and that was enough you know <laughs> well, that's can, all the questions do i that? have do you have my, any charles well just you know putting you on the spot if you don't mind chip one of those things that interviewers love to do is is say the name and then ask you the first thing that comes to mind so if we said johnny barbado barreto what would be the first memory or first you know thing that comes to mind about you know and we'll go through the members if it's okay johnny barbeda he had this little thing that he always did when he was feeling slightly i don't know devilish or something he kept going <laughs> or something like that with his nose you know i don't know what it was a reaction to something someone would say and he would just <laughs> you know? but yeah he's very i i remember going to his place sometimes and he was always working out you know lifting weights and stuff and fun guy we had a lot of fun he, he, he was he was good fun on the road and a great he drummer a, right yeah a great drummer great drum solo one of the best <laughs> you know he come off the stage and you know play all the drums and you know then do a little little dance at the end of it and <laughs> and a and a you know and a bow yeah, he's, he's quite quite something. What about Jerry Esther? What comes Jerry, to mind? Jerry Esther, beautiful, beautiful voice. You know, just uh, just a wonderful ballad voice. Uh, he can sing those tender love song ballads. Such a, and he's still got that voice too. You know, he's that's that's the thing about him. Definitely. Yeah, I had him Mark, on this podcast. Oh, sorry. I, I had Jerry on this podcast too. And, oh, you did? Uh, yeah. yeah, he he 
he did help produce the the unreleased final Turtles album, which was going to be called Shell Shock, but it never got released. So, oh, really? I didn't realize he, that. He claims he never got paid. <laughs> oh, probably not. No, none of us have. You know, uh, nobody, <laughs> nobody sees anything from Turtles. Uh, I'm afraid that uh, you know. I don't know. We don't want to go there, but no. <laughs> So anyway, uh, when yeah, you so own the masters of something, I think you're obliged to, once you get your money back from yeah. purchasing them, then, you know, you're supposed to pay the boys, hopefully. <laughs> so anyway, so some so, would disagree. So brings, yeah, Go yeah. Ahead. Mark, what, what about Mark? A memory of Mark or what comes to mind? Oh, Mark, he's just the clown to the max you know he, he always always having fun and just what a performer though you know tossing that tambourine 50 feet in the air and catching it with his big toe or whatever he did <laughs> and uh great voice great he had a great high falsetto you know just just wonderful i i i just love the two of those voices together and i I always had a burning desire to do more things with Howard singing lead and Mark doing the high harmony like mm. Mickey and Mike did on Pleasant Valley Sunday in places. And then Davey and Mickey would do that. But that's the kind of harmony I really like in spite of the fact that I come from a four part harmony for freshmen like group. I love the country approach to music where one guy sings the lead, and in the chorus, his buddy sings a high harmony on top of him. And I've fronted a country band from time to time, and not too regularly, but in, you know, while I've been here on the Big Island, I learned a bunch of country music and went and played clubs sometimes. Never could find a guy to do those harmony parts, not like Henry. Henry Diltz is my my high harmony singer. Perfect. You know, we get together and sing something. He'll do that high harmony, but he's in California and I'm in Hawaii. And my, my son's mother, Desiree, Desiree Douglas, as she likes to be called in the, uh, that's her stage name. She, she knew all my harmony parts and we would go sing together, but it's a little different when you have a woman singing the high harmony because it doesn't have, the vocalist doesn't stretch as much as a guy will to another guy. For her, it was like a low part. So we'd have to do it in higher and higher keys. But anyway, go ahead. More names. Uh, Al Nickel. No, well, what, what, Al Nickel. Let's ask Al Nickel. I wanted to ask first. Oh. Go ahead. Yeah. I just wanted, I wanted to finish with, with Mark as a oh. musician. We know he sang. We know he played with the with the tambourine and did all that goofy stuff. But he also played some instruments, correct? Yes, he plays. Uh, he probably plays keyboard. I never saw him play keyboard that much, but I know he plays Telecaster guitar. When he lived down the street from me, and I lived in Laurel Canyon, I could hear him practicing during the day, and I'd <laughs> wander down and talk stories a little bit. And but he uh, he, he he plays a rhythm guitar, you know. But he never did in the days when I was with the Turtles. Right. That was right. later he, he played guitar, I think. I'm, maybe he didn't know how then or 
If I know Mark, well, he probably didn't watch it. He can move more when he's just, uh, you know, with the tambourine and get all over the stage, all over the place uh, with the guitar. That would probably, with a chord, because they weren't wireless guitars in those days, he probably would hang them up a little more. So <clears throat> maybe that's why. Fair enough. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. Mark, you can continue with Al, yeah. <clears throat> so Al Nickel. Al, yes. Al Nickel. Yeah, just... Uh, slightly slightly serious uh, you know about things but uh yeah he he had ideas as i now i'm thinking about it. he had he would have these little melody ideas that howard and mark would kind of pick up on it but he sang them very soft when he'd when he'd play the guitar and sing these things that you could barely hear him and then mark and howard would get on it and write some words and they had a couple of things one of them was called uh dance this dance with me and another one was called happy to remember which i really liked i was boy this happy could re to remember could be really good and we never did cut it you know it just i i thought that could be a really that could be the next single for you and it never came together and i they let me go and then they just didn't want to do that <laughs> anyway and they did something else so yeah. Dance but, this yeah. dance, dance this dance did make it onto Turtle Soup eventually, though. So. Did it? Did it? Yeah. Okay. But I don't, I don't recognize that other song unless they change the title or something. But... <laughs> once I wished that I could be a king, now I find that I have oh, that sounds everything. Familiar. I think that's on but Turtle Soup I, also. Yeah, yeah. If I ever lose it all somehow, I'll be happy to remember. I'll remember. It wasn't quite arranged right. I began to think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Afterwards. They they changed the title. It's either How You Loved Me or How You Love Me. That that did how make it love, on Turtles. How You Turtles Love Me. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. Uh, yeah, Jim, yeah. Jim Tucker. He was in the band for a while with you. Jim Tucker. Kind of a, you know, uh, just a good, good old guy, you know, just a, <laughs> just a regular guy. <laughs> Now, were kind you of, there when he left, or were you gone? Already? No, I was. I was okay. already okay. gone. Yeah. Okay. And then, but of course, no. Howard. <laughs> what, what memories of Howard? <laughs> Howard, Howard, Kalen. Just, uh, I just mostly remember that little laugh. He'd be. They always sat on the floor when mm -hmm. we had meetings. That Howard would sit on the floor, and just every once in a while. <laughs> that little laugh, you know, would come out. <laughs> he had this little, he had this little falsetto laugh, and it was, it was just cute as can be, you know. And he he was very descriptive, though, when he when when he would talk about things, he could. He, well, I think you know, he just his way of talking was very descriptive of, and, and it would suck you right into, you know, you you listened because he was very smart and knew what he was talking about they all were you know so no howard my more things about howard i mean that lead vocal on you baby blows my mind every time i hear it i think geez he is actually my all-time favorite pop singer the voice i love his voice more than and i would love to have worked with him and made 25 more records just because of that voice, you know, and it was just it's a beautiful, beautiful voice, you know. It's, it's such a such a gift when you got a voice like that. Well, you worked anyway. with 
you worked with two of the greatest pop vocalists, not just of the 60s, but ever with Mickey and with Howard. I mean, you, you can put oh. them up against, put them up against anybody. And, and I don't want to start a whole new conversation, but both bands should be in the Hall of Fame for so many reasons, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the vocals, just one of the reasons why. I mean, forget all the hits. Forget, you know, the, the impact that both bands made. You know, we were talking about two bands. Both should be in the Hall of Fame. Both had amazing vocalists besides Howard and besides Mickey. But the two of them, just a different stratosphere. It would have been great to do some kind of a album with the two of them just uh, wow still could i guess maybe i could just send them some tracks and say hey maybe you will mind putting this harmony part on howard's little lead here and vice versa wow. i have to think they, of something I, there you go they but should do, yeah they should do a cover of no more tears enough is enough no no <laughs> no no they should do a vocal over dueling stratospheres or whatever that uh, dueling oh, yeah. extraterrestrial song. You take that music and you give them a vocal to do over that and have them do dueling vocals with it. And wow. <laughs> I have, and I'll have to get over to my studio and pull it out and transfer it to digital. But I did, and I haven't even heard it since I did it. I went to Gold Star one time and I did a recording of a, a guitar part that I had made up at one point and I, I, I made this words to a little song called it was kind of an anti-smoking commercial and it says every day when you wake every day when you rise up and shine in the morning be sure that you put on a small pot of tea it's a wonderful way to start off the day when you find <laughs> that you've been up all night till three and if you feel like having a smoke just have some more tea You'll feel much better all day long, and you'll be strong. You'll live long, and they, it went like that. But it was just, they came in and sang it and did these harmony parts. It's called a cup of tea. So I gotta, I gotta resurrect that and put it into some form that's listenable because it's uh, these tapes are there, but they, I gotta be very careful to run them through the tape machine now because they they get moldy over time you know i don't have a perfect environment to store stuff so yeah well maybe i'll do that tomorrow i'll try to get that down and see what it sounds like after all these years cool there... i hope we were the, i hope we were the inspiration for that <laughs> yes you have been i that's it um, thank you you know i'll there's a lot of unreleased things in my library that need to be gone through and pulled and digitized and see what they're worth you know so the chip douglas <laughs> yeah the my archives they're somewhat extensive there's i get there's more things of davy on there and mickey and kind of some goofy stuff but uh mickey doing the beginnings of his song jesus saves in the bank of heaven was the thing that he came up Jesus saves in the bank of heaven. Get in line to verify your claim. As he waits at the golden window. Dun, 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 and everybody signed your name. Something like that. And he didn't have any verses to it. I thought, hey, well, that's novelty, but it's fun and clever. And let's put that together. Well, he never did finish it and stuff. Although, a quick story. I, I was driving down Sunset Boulevard one day. 
uh, and I'm still kind of working with Lester Sill at the time. And I'd heard that song from Mickey. It might've been in the early seventies. And Lester Sill was driving alongside of us or of me. And I said, Hey, I think Mickey was in the car too, but anyway, Hey Lester, you know, Mickey's just written this song called Jesus saves in the bank of heaven. And he <laughs> says, Oh yeah. Well, Moses invests. <laughs> the I said, okay, yeah, yeah, you're right there. So it never did get put together, but. Now, most of these latter-day things, I didn't really ask, but most of these latter-day things that you produced and stuff, were they done uh, in Hawaii or L.A. or both? What, what things? Just anything you did, like, later on, uh, oh, I, 80s, I 90s, did. present. Were they done in Hawaii or? Uh, done well, in LA or our, both or wherever you... a few things were done in Hawaii mm -hmm. we, we made albums for a Japanese company we did a a one two three four almost five albums maybe we did for them mm -hmm. and uh, I did things on my own just in Hawaii because I've been in Hawaii since 1979 so mm -hmm. most of the stuff I've been dabbling with has been done here and yeah. You know, I get on one idea and then I get on to another and I have a song and I'll put down some little tape to it and kind of <laughs> move along to the next one. So, mm -hmm. yeah, but those, those, uh, you know, the Christmas is my time of year and that kind of stuff that was done on the mainland. And, mm. and, and I did live back in California from 1973 to 79. So I did numbers of things back there and some things at Mickey's studio speaking of which there's that marvelous song that I put together kind of recently with Davey singing called bright sunny day it was a track we did and of course no one wants it I did mention it to uh, John Hughes up at Rhino here's another missing link for you <laughs> and uh, the phone hasn't rung so but that's that's a pretty good pretty good little number somebody wanted to release it on a pop hit something but it it wouldn't have been as the monkeys so that's what i'm kind of waiting if you want to put it out as the monkeys that's one thing but it's you know it's not quite the same when you're the individual guy you know so we'll see what happens with that but that's that's all I'm waiting waiting for the day with some when there's another Missing Links album, I guess. So. Right. But we've, we're supposed to be talking about the Turtles. What right, right, right. Um, I was trying to, uh, stalling for time here, if Charles would come back on, but maybe we're kind of wrapping it up here. And uh, you and Charles sure. can have a monkey's conversation at a separate time. Uh, but I usually end my show with just kind of giving you a chance to plug anything you're doing. If you're making any personal appearances or if there's new album coming out for you or if you're touring or if you wrote a book or if you're just uh, having uh, uh, growing a nice garden in your backyard whatever so and well how people can a, get in contact with you and stuff as a matter of fact <laughs> it's christmas once again and me and christmas songs for some reason i <laughs> i there was a thing that i put together for davy's album that hopefully annabelle jones was going to sing on but she didn't want to do a solo number, just wanted to be happy doing those two songs that she did. And I got some musicians together and I wrote a song called In the Holiday Air. And so just recently, uh, Terry P. Smith, the former Davies drummer, 
Mm-hmm. His wife contacted me and said, oh, I, would you be interested in producing my album? She sings and quite well. So I said, yeah, sure. But right now I just have this track and Christmas is coming up. And would you like to sing it? I'll send it to you. So she said, oh, yeah, great. So she put a vocal on it and we've got it up there on Spotify and everything. It's called In the Holiday Air by mm-hmm. Abigail Bender. And uh, we're hopefully going to get a little airplay out of Rodney Bingenheimer and uh, the guy who does Breakfast with the Beatles uh, in L.A. And we'll see. And if, uh, you know, it has 66 streams so far (laughs) from what I've heard. (laughs) Probably all friends of Terry's and Abby's, but (laughs) there you go. But it's a beautiful little tune, you know. I'll send it to you guys as, uh, you know, you can hear what it's like and stuff. But, uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm plugging this this year. Am I – see, I'm always looking at these Zoom things. I mean, am I – There you go. I, I got <laughs> to remember to just – whoops. Just to look here because sometimes I'm looking over here. And then... We'll all do it. There. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anyway, I was having uh, uh, Chip wrap up and promote some things. Did you have anything else to ask, or you? you I just you... I just want to thank him for being such yeah. a so such a great nice guy and so personable and so willing to come on and talk about you know so many things that were hopefully a great part of his life and a great part of his uh, uh, um, what he's left the world. I mean, this is uh, such a, a, a great th- thing for us as fans. And as archivists who want to, you know, share the joy. And I don't know if you said that in your wrap up, but uh, more of a thank you than anything else. Well, thank you guys very much. <laughs> I, I appreciate the opportunity to do something, you know, I, all quiet here in Hawaii most of the time for me. Aloha. Thank so, you so much. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank I'll look very forward much. to we'll look forward to our more in-depth monkeys talk soon. Yeah, and okay, I already said that good. when you were off the line, I, I kind of gave you a plug. We'll continue this conversation with Charles later on the monkeys. Basically, that's it. Uh, thank you, Chip, for being on the show. Thank you, for, Charles, for bringing uh, Chip with you and being on the show yourself. And that wraps up another Fun Ideas podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Chip Douglas and Charles F. Rosney, for being my special guests. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 146 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.